Once again, good morning. And to those who are joining us online, we also would like to acknowledge their participation in this, this morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 16, as we continue with our sermon series, Total Commitment to God. As I said last week, we are living in a day and age that the issue of commitment somewhat carries with it the negative notion. And many would wonder and many would worry whenever they hear such a word as commitment. That we struggle to commit And our struggle to commitment sometimes may be attributed or we may blame it on people. Or we may say that we are struggling to commit because of the situations or the locations that we may find ourselves in of our lives. But to say the least, I would like to quote what uh, Paul David Tripp would say in his book, Oh. He says this concerning our lack of commitment or our lack of devotion to God. He says the disappointments with people and situations and locations draw such emotions out of many because we all suffer from a deeper problem. And that is the problem that has to deal with the all of God. And when we are speaking of total commitment to God, we are saying we are devoting ourselves to the Lord because He has committed Himself to us first. He has initiated this. We are not, we are not, we are not doing this because we want to earn some credits with him. So we looked last week as to how total commitments looks like. We say that commitment is a delight issue. That a man who is totally committed to God will show forth according to verse number one and verse number two last week we saw, such a man or a woman delights in God's refuge. That we have found that it is only in God where we will find safety, where we will find redemption, where we will find the sense of security, not only the sense of it, but even the actual state of security. He gives it to us. We are saved. We are the redeemed. So we delight ourselves in him, but secondly, we say that we delight ourselves in his lordship and we delight ourselves in his good. But thirdly, this morning, what we are about to see is that not only do we delight in God's good and in his lordship, but our commitment entails that we delight ourselves to God's people. So let's bow our heads this morning and ask the Lord to be with us, even as we are about to examine verse number three of the book of Psalm, chapter number 16. Let's bow our heads and we pray together, shall we? Our glorious and eternal Father, we do bow before you. We bow before you because you are so good to us. Our desire is... To set you always before our eyes like the psalmist would testify in this particular text. Our desire is that even as you welcome us in, we may de delight ourselves in you but also in your word. That we may delight in, our, in your statutes. We may even now ponder upon your counsels and we may find in you the infinite love. We desperately seek. 
I'm very much aware that there are some among us who do not know you. I'm also aware that there are some among us who have been discouraged. Some who even upon hearing such a requirement, they disdain this in their hearts. It is to such I do ask that you soften our hearts by and through your Holy Spirit that we may once again come into your presence where we have found that we are discouraged and we find ourselves to find joy in the things of the world. We desire that we will find in your presence, that in your presence indeed there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are those pleasures forevermore. So set our affections now on things above, even on your word, which is eternal. We acknowledge that all of us are like grass. Our glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but this word lives forever. Let it search our hearts, discern our thoughts, and let it cleanse us from every filthiness and every wickedness that we may behold the glories of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask and we pray. And may God's people say amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalm 16. And we will read from verse 1 to verse 11. Stand on your feet in honor for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no God apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pull out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my Lord. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to sure or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God bless the reading and the sharing of his word. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. A total commitment to, to God. Mark the word total. It means we are, living, we are living nothing apart. Everything of us, everything about us, fully, wholly, and completely committed to God. Now, how does a life that is committed to God look like? Or as David is putting it here, how are we going to know that David, as he's telling us here in verse number 8, he has set the Lord always before him. 
How are we going to know that? So in this psalm, David demonstrates to us, as we have been looking at this, the 10 characteristics of a life that is totally committed to God. And so far we have looked at the three of those character traits. Now, we are coming to verse number four because we looked at verse number one to verse number three. To those of you who are not with us, I would ask you to go on our Facebook page and you are going to find there and you can catch up to last week's sermon. Or speak to me, I can send you the recording. But we are not studying there. I want us to continue. Because David comes to verse number, verse number three and he tells us to say this as for the saints in the land. They are the excellent ones. Look at what David is saying there. In whom is, the same word, all my delight. In verse number one and verse number two, David has shown us and he has displayed to us that his commitment is to God. He commits himself to God, to the refuge of God in verse number one, to the lordship of God in verse number two, A. He delights in God's good in verse number two, B. But this God, according to David, this God has a people. And it is not only in God that David is finding his delight in, but then secondly, he says he finds his delight in God's people. We saw that the God that David addresses in verse number one, El, the, the name he uses in Hebrew is El, the Hebrew title for the God who is infinite in strength. In verse number, number two, he calls him Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh. The covenant name of God, one who has a personal relationship with this man, David. But not only is he Yahweh, he is the Adonai, the self-sufficient God, the one who has eternally existed as God, yet he has a people. And this is the God who has called you. This is the God who has called me. This is the God who has created us. We know the story, right? He made man in his own image after his own likeness. Of all the things that God had made here on earth. Because I want you to see here. What David is saying, the dwelling of these people is here on earth. Now, he's not speaking of all people in general. Although all people in general belongs to the Lord. You would expect such a man like David to speak of all men everywhere, from every tongue, every tribe, every kindred. David would have said that it is to them. In, in, a, in essence, yes. Psalm chapter 8. Go there with me. In Psalm chapter 8, just go eight chapters before this. The psalmist will write to say, Marveling upon this, David will tell us in Psalm chapter 8, just listen to him, as he ponders, as he reflects on creation, and he reflects on man in general. There's, there's a way in which this can be true of all men, because all men are made with this dignity. They are made in the image of God. He says, O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name, where? In all the earth. You, you, have, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your enemies, of your fowls, to steal the enemy and the avenger. Then he begins to meditate. What does he say in verse number three? When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have put in place. Question is this, verse number four, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. 
You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, yet you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The birds of the heavens, the sheep and the oxen, whatever passes along the path of the sea, and David mothers and he says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So with that in mind, David is saying, as for the saints who are dwelling in all the earth. He excludes all men, meaning he comes here and he's speaking of this peculiar people. Because what you have in chapter number 8, it's the ideal man, the perfect Man, before Genesis chapter number 3, the man who was entrusted with dominion, the man who was entrusted with the authority, the man who was entrusted with absolute dominion to be the custodian of God's creation. We know how the story goes, doesn't it? That man messes up. He sins against God, but in, in the earth where sin now dwells, in the earth where Satan and his demons are operating and they have corrupted everything which God had made that the psalmist marvels at. In the earth where God has set his glory and he is displaying it through all creation, there is one peculiar group of people that takes the psalmist's attention and that is God's people. Do you see that? Because they, not only do we see they are dwelling in this verse because they are in the land. The psalmist is not concerned about the earthly commodities. The psalmist here moves his attention. He's not speaking about earthly created, created things. He would have said maybe of all the excellences I see in the world. Oh, let's dig down into the ground and get out of the ground. The oil, the diamond, the gold, the silver, the iron, the ore. Don't you think you'd have said that? In all the earth, maybe let's go to the zoo and see the elephant, the zebra, and all the creatures which God has made. How beautiful and how excellent they are. Not so in this verse. He singles out one treasure in the earth, and that is God's people. Look at their description. He says they are, verse number, look at verse number three, as for the saints in the land, speaks of their dwelling. Look at the description. They are the excellent ones. That's their description. They are the majestic ones. As a man after God's own heart, you would think that maybe he should be more obsessed with himself and he would say as for me because I have the Lord who is majestic in holiness I have the Lord who let's look at verse number one the Lord whom I'm crying to who is my refuge verse number five the Lord who is my portion and my cup verse number seven the Lord who holds who gives me counsel the Lord who instructs David's heart. Verse number 8, the Lord whom David has set always before him. You would think that such a pious man would not have regard for others. He glories in God's people. David's point in verse number 3 is that his joy is in God. Actually, his joy in God is actually enhanced because he has delighted himself in the company of God's people. Whom he refers to in this particular verse as the saints. 
I want you to see here the excellent one as we see in the book of Psalms chapter number 16 verse number 3 in the book of ESV. The term describes God's people as those who are set apart unto God, whose character is excellent, or according to the words of David, their character is noble. The idea is that we should delight in the company of God's people. We must, there must be this incessant, unceasing desire to be with God's people. Wasn't that the feeling that you had? Did you feel like that, Christian? Like the psalmist would say in Psalm 84, Oh, how I remember how we used to go to the house of the Lord. One thing that I ask of the Lord, this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Not that I will be edified in of myself, but I will be amongst God's people. You see, Christian, this noble and excellent and glorious character of these Christians, it is a character that is required of us if we ever will be a people that may say we are committed totally to God. God has a people and the people of God find themselves in a geographic dwelling. Here in the New Testament we call it the local church. It is they that David in this particular place who say as for the saints in the land, they have a locality. They have a place where they are gathering. They are people who are visible and they meaningfully share their lives together. There is one book that I do recommend that you must read. And the book is entitled The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress is a book that was written by one of the Puritans by the name of John Bunyan. In that book, John Bunyan, who describes himself as a Christian on the journey to the celestial city, Bunyan has a number of characters on his journey to the celestial city. One among the characters that fascinates me as I look at this verse is a man by the name of Ignorance. Ignorance, you can hear his name, right? So that he can get to the celestial city by his own works. He thought his niceness actually is able to bring him to the gates of heaven. But there's something else that ignorance said that took my attention. And it's in line to this particular verse and speaks to a kind of mindset that is now prevalent among us most believers today. Ignorance said these words. Listen to what he says. I take pleasure in walking alone, even more than in the company of many. What he is saying is, he say he finds his absolute delight not in the company of the saints. He, he finds his pleasure in walking alone. What ignorance forgot is what poor David Tripp would say, that sanctification is a community project. Christian, you are not made and you were not meant to walk alone. You are not a Rambo Christian who can go in the jungle and fight the battle all by yourself. Or may I say this, you are not a commando who can go to war in and of yourself and think that you are going to win the fight against sin or Satan. The God whom we have found to be our refuge saves us, redeems us into a family. And we must find our delight in the family of God. Otherwise, if we are not, we are left vulnerable and susceptible to sin and to Satan himself. You know the devil's tactic of spiritual warfare? Isolate and strike. 
Watch National Geographics. Look at the female lions. How they, they will go for their prey. Do you know what they do? They will look at this herd of buffaloes. They don't go in where the buffaloes are feeding. They isolate first and look at the one that's weak. Or even the one that's strong. But they know that as long as they isolate it, they are able to pounce on it and to devour it. It's the same with your spiritual work. So I want to pose this question to you. Do you find delight in God's people? Do you? Do, do you make it your aim on Monday? You, you, you're thinking about the people of God on Wednesday. Or you're thinking about God's people on Sunday. You, you, you have this directly before you and you are praying for these people in here the, 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 this is our family you are praying for them you understand where they are you are following up with them and you are interceding for them if they are weak you are praising god for them if they are doing well do you do that listen to what bonhoeffer would say and he would warn us listen to this the physical presence of other believers is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The mere presence of the other Christian has a fortifying effect on our souls. Beneath what we are even able to consciously recognize. That's one reason the Bible exhorts us to meet together. Because we are Christ's very body, he says, organically. We are connected to each other. The life, the strength of Christ himself flowing through us and into us. How? Through one another. That's why I keep on saying, beloved, I say this, I say this, that your duty as a Christian is not to be a pure woman. It's not to sit there and be pampered. That's not our duty. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 11, the Bible dictates and declares as to what's the church's mandate. Why has God allowed us that we can meet together in this fashion? We are here to equip one another for the work of ministry. We are here to call one another to that which Christ has called us to we are here to call one another to submit to his lordship to find refuge not in the pastor neither in the denomination in christ alone and in his body the church that's why truth be said virtual church service as useful as it has been Let's be honest, it has left many believers spiritually aminic. Many have lost their test for God. Many have lost their zeal for God. Many have lost their commitment to God. I love one, one man, Dan Ortland, would say, a virtual worship gathering is one way, but it's special. It's not two-way. You are receiving, including those who are online now, praise God you are there, but you can't give. You are seeing those leading worship, but you are unable to participate. You can hear the one preaching, you can hear the one who is praying, but you cannot, we can't see you. That's just the reality of it. We don't see their eyes, do we? We don't see your body. We don't see your solidarity. That's what Dan Outland would call, would call it. At best, you are a number piping in on the live stream. So as important, as, as vital, as useful as it has been for a while, but I want you to know this, that our Christian walk, the way that we are made, we are made to find joy and delight in one another. And that's what David is pointing out here. David's point in verse number three is that his joy in God is actually enhanced because he has delighted himself in the company of God's people.
Who are they? Look at that verse. And I want you to look at the letters that David uses there. They are. They are. Grammar-wise, that's a present active indicative. That's who they are. It's not who they will be. Where are they? It's not, it's not the saints in heaven. If maybe you come from a Roman Catholic background, you think maybe we are speaking of the saints who are in heaven. Mm -mm. These are the saints in the earth. These are the blood-bought, spirit-filled, sanctified. They have been set apart by the Lord. They are not in heaven. These are the saints in the earth. Meaning, they are found in a locality. They may be impure in your eyes, but before the eyes of the Lord, these ones, they are God's possession. In both character of these saints, they are being made the excellent ones through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Who are these men and women? 1 Peter chapter number 2 verse 9. I'm glad you ask. Let's hear this. What does Peter say? Listen to who you are, Christian. Maybe you forgot your identity. And can you just nudge your neighbor? There are some neighbors are praying for me. Just nudge them. Tell them to wake up. 1 Peter chapter number 2 verse number 9. Listen to what Peter says. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. And here is their mandate and their duty. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness to light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in your dwelling, you are dwelling here on earth. In the description that James, that, that, that we see in Psalms, the description actually that the book of Psalms chapter 16 gives us, the book of Psalms tells us that the description who these people are, they are the excellent one. But then James, what do we find with Peter, however? Peter not only gives us our description, Peter not only gives us our dwelling, Peter gives us our duty. Excellency, excellent ones. Excellent ones in Psalm 16 speaks to our description. Excellences in 1 Peter 2.9 speaks not only to our description but our duty. We are to declare the excellencies of him who called us. In essence, God who is, in the, who is independent, the God who needs nothing, the God who created everything from nothing. He has chosen to create for himself here on earth a people for his pleasure. They are his treasured possession. He gets great joy out of them and over them. And that's who you are. God who is independent. God who needs nothing. That God has chosen to create you for his pleasure. He has chosen to create you for his treasured possession. He gets joy over you. That's who you are in case you forgot. It is this sense that the psalmist finds his joy in. And he calls them what? Two words. That you can see there, that, that word can be translated to, they are the majestic ones, or they are the excellent ones. Now, beloved, as to how these men and women do this, the book of New Testament tells us as to how that is vital. We need one another, and this is, these are the 11 things that I have there online. Let's see there. 
This is what the Bible commands us, and this is our character. This is something that is expected for us, among us. This is why we must find delight in God's sense. Because it is in this particular context where we are excellent, we aim to be excellent in our character. We aim to excel in our obedience to the Lord and the Master who called us. How do we do that? We love one another. John chapter 13 verse 34, Christ tells us that. And this command, you shall love one another, is found almost 16 times in the New Testament. We, we then are devoted to one another. That's how we find delight in each other. We honor one another above ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. That delight is spurred on as we come together. And what is our mission and our mandate? We are building one another. We are like-minded towards one another. We accept one another. Romans 15, verse number 7. When one goes astray, what do we do? It is our mandate and our task that we admonish one another. In the book of Romans 15, verse number 14, we are told that. Such that then as a body of Christ, as we finding delight in each other as the saints of God, then if someone is in need, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, we care for one another. There is nowhere else you are going to be cared for, rather in the fold of Jesus Christ. There are days when things are not going well. There are too many burdens that you feel like you are carrying. There are many burdens you feel that you have been loaded upon. Who is there to help you? Galatians chapter 6 verse number 2 tells us we bear one another's burdens. And it does not mean that these God's people who are called the saints are perfect. There are men and women who actually also wrong one another. But what do, we, what do we do in that context? This is the only place where then we are able as well to, be, to, to, to show that we are excellent, to show that we are peculiar. We are different from the world. What do we do? We forgive one another. Ephesians 4 verse 32. That's practical. No other community in the, in the, in the postmodern age could teach you this. There is no other group of people who are so excellent in their character like the people of the Lord. Men and women indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I can continue Ephesians 4 verse number 2. Men and women who are patient with one another. Men and women who are kind and compassionate to one another. Men and women who speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs as they are making melody in their heart to God. It is with this in mind that the New Testament writers would encourage and would exhort the New Testament saints to tell them and to remind them of this kind of a delight that they ought to delight in God's people. It is here even as we wait for the soon coming of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 24, 25. What does it say? You can write it down. Stir up, provoke, we stimulate one another to love and to good works. Why? Because we are all prone to wonder. Amen, Christian. None of us is a graduate of the grace of God. So then as you see this, that the idea that David is showing here, the idea is that we should delight in the company of God's saints. The idea is that we must be growing together in holiness, in love, together. And we must find joy in God's people. After the service, don't just rush. Hmm. Encourage someone. Greet someone you've not met. Speak to someone you've not spoken to.
Invite somebody for lunch, for coffee, for tea. How much does it cost to make tea? Hot water and a tea bag. But you'll be amazed the amount of discipleship that takes place over a cup of tea. You don't need too much. No, but I don't have, but there is water in your home. No, but I don't have, no, but there is rooibos in your house. If you don't have, then see me at the end of the service. But we can meaningfully be able to walk alongside each other. We can meaningfully pray for one another. We can meaningfully be able to see Christ glorified among us. So David would say, it is in the sense of God. That is where my delight is in. In them I find my delight. Isn't that beautiful? Lastly, let's see what David is also doing here. He's not only delighting in God's people, but lastly, as he's delighting in God's people, he then detests devotion to other gods. Look at verse number four with me. David writes and he says in that verse four. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pull out. Or will I take their names on my lips? So not only are you seeing David making those who delight themselves in God his absolute delight, but there's another company which David is not even willing to keep on his lips. His thoughts about God's sins also caused him to reflect on those that turn their backs on God and they're pursuing idols. So he's actually looking at their end. This is where they are going to. He said, the sorrows of those who have been bartered, those who are running after other gods, their sorrow will multiply. So he makes this commitment. Look at the total commitment he makes. I shall not pull out their drink offerings. Of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. So there are men, other groups of men who are forsaking the living God and they are following after the false idols. Such men, those who are worshiping other idols, David is saying that he will not entertain such. So to us, believe, I want you to know this. While we should maintain relationships with the lost, it does not mean that here what David is saying is he is not refuting the idea or the notion or even the thinking of going out to those who are lost and reach out to them, evangelize them. No, that's not what David is speaking against. Yes, we must go out there, reach out to those who are lost. We must take care, however, not to be enticed to follow the ways of this age after false gods. Luke chapter 5, verse 29 to 32 has that. First Peter chapter 4, verses 4, 1 to chapter 4, verse 1 to 6 has that. Just as Paul had warned as well the believers in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. David says, the sorrows of the ungodly will be multiplied. There is an end for those who are pursuing after other idols. Those who are pursuing other sinful, deceitful desires. This calls us, beloved, to be careful in as much as we are joyfully delighting ourselves in the Lord. It's not a delight that is pursuing God from nowhere to nowhere. As we are running away from the world, we are running unto God. As we are running away from darkness, we are running into the marvelous light. As we are running away from the crookedness, we are running to a righteous living. That's what David is speaking about here. He is aware of the blessed man of someone. You remember the blessed man of someone? 
Because sin has a tendency that sin is deceitful. No matter how sweet, no matter how nice it may feel or may taste, sin is progressive as well in its characteristics. The blessed man of Psalm chapter 1, remember him? He walks not. He stands not. And he does not sit. Can you see the progression there? In the similar fashion, you see it as well. When it comes to sin, Eve, in Genesis chapter number 3, what do we see with Eve? Eve, she heard the lies of the devil. She believed the lie. She obeyed it. Same with the prodigal son. He went to a far country, found himself with the pigs. Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, in Christ's theological college, call it, a man who walked with Christ Jesus, performed miracle signs and wonders, a man who was there with the Lord as he was being transfigured. He had seen the glorious Lord. He had heard all the marvelous sermons of Jesus, including the Sermon on the Mount. But we are told of this man, Peter, at the end of Christ's life, he first deserted the Lord. What does he do for next? He fraternized with the enemy. What does he do? He later denies the Lord and afterwards commits perjury. So be warned of the enticements of sin. Be warned. Because social drinking can easily be led to alcoholism. Missing a midweek service, a Bible study, can lead to missing Sunday service. Then later on, our hearts are waning away. Uh, the fire within us is no longer being kindled. The embers of fire which God was starting to burn within us, they are being, dis is, they are being extinguished by sin and sluggishness. And sooner or later, we no longer have time to read God's word. Needless to say, we no longer even have time to even speak to God in prayer. We become self-sufficient, self-reliant men who are no longer committed to God, but we now commit ourselves to what? To the things of the world. So every sin is progressive. Sin is deceptive. It grows. So resist any temptation, choosing the way to escape only that has been provided for us. And that way of escape is Jesus Christ. We've seen verse number one. He is our refuge. Submit then verse number two to his lordship. Embrace then verse number two in his goodness such that then your delight will be in God's people and you will detest everything that is evil that the world gives to you a totally committed life how does it look like one it delights in the God's refuge two it delights in God's Lordship three it delights in God's good Four that we've looked at today a totally committed life delights in God's people and a totally committed life detests everything that is in opposition to God. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you? Are you finding joy in God as your refuge? As you are faced with any calamity this week? Are you running to Him or you're running to the world? In the sin, Christian, that you are struggling with, are you submitting yourself to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you submitting to your own strength? Mom and dad, in your parenting, have you submitted yourself to this God and are you calling for his refuge over your sons and your daughters? Brother, sister, are you, are you asking and crying out to the Lord that your relatives would find this God to be their refuge and their Lord and that they would delight fully, not in the things of the world, the idols of this age, but that they would detest them and they will find the only good we see in verse number two, in God, because he's good. And his goodness and his loving kindness endures forever. 
Or are you finding peace and comfort in things? If that is the case, then come to the arms that are open wide this morning because it is there where we may say with the psalmist, it is there at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come there. He will satisfy your longings. He will quench your thirst. Let's bow our heads and we pray together. Our glorious and eternal God, we come before you this morning acknowledging of our own need for you. Realizing that each of us at the street level, we have replaced all of you with the all of something else. We have hooked the delight and the satisfaction of our hearts to something other than you. Sometimes and most times we don't know it. We have a theology of our that puts you at the center only on Sunday, but between Sunday, the rest of our lives, we do exist for ourselves. But we resound with the words of the wise man of old. We are restless until we find rest in you. So we do pray, oh Lord Jesus, that we may find delight in you, in your people. We may find all our delight in that which you offer to us in your son, Jesus. Change our hearts. That they will be set on things above. Our minds, our affections, our feet, lead them in the paths of righteousness. If you will not, we know we cannot. But what is impossible with us, it's possible with you. For nothing is too hard with you. So help this one, my brother, my sister. This one who feels they are lost and they have no direction of their own. That they will find in you the greatest shepherd and leader of all. Who is able to lead us to the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, we do ask and we pray. May God's people say amen.